in the morning to uh, preach uh, in Cancun, several other Pueblos, and do the preacher's class Monday, and I'll return Tuesday, so everybody remember me. Austin Groover is going to go and translate for me. Now, you'll notice in Hebrews chapter 11, the language with regard to this woman named Rahab. She's unique in Hebrews chapter 11 because you've noticed that none of the sins of the people up to her are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. But hers is. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not. And notice it says, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. That could summarize everybody in Jericho. They believed not. But Rahab, the harlot, does. Now, not only is she used by the writer of the Hebrews to illustrate faith, she's also used by James to illustrate the works of faith. So she's used to describe faith, and she's used to describe the works of faith. Let me quote that scripture from James chapter 2. He says, Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? When she'd received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit or breath is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If she wouldn't have received the spies with peace and hidden them and sent them out, she would have proved by that action that she did not really have saving faith. The faith without works, and that's the only kind of faith there is, the faith without works works always. And Rahab is a picture of that for us. This harlot is also mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. She would be King David's great-grandmother. And the Christ came through her. She was the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth, who had Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, who was the son of David's father, Yet, his son was his Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Joshua had succeeded, gone before Moses to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. Now, there were 40 years they'd spent wandering in the wilderness. Can you imagine that? 40 years. They had manna come down from heaven every day. They had water from a rock, and 40 days they wandered in the wilderness because they didn't believe God. That's why. They didn't believe God. When they were getting ready to take the promised land and enter in, they 
They send spies. The spies come back with a big report, even bringing clusters of grapes that were so big they had to be carried on a staff with two men. And they said, the land indeed is a land, just like the Lord said, filled with milk and honey. It was a good land, but there were walled cities and the people there were great and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. We cannot take this place. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And I think this is interesting we know from the scriptures that there were 600,000 men of war that left Egypt. So there was at least 2 million people, probably more than that, but at least 2 million people that left Egypt. And because of their unbelief, how many of those people who were over 20 years old when they left got into the promised land? Two. Of the millions. Two. Joshua, and we know he's that great type of Christ, the Savior. You see, Moses couldn't bring him in. Your works to the law cannot bring you in. Only Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, can bring you into the promised land. And there was another man who came in, Caleb. You'll remember what he, they were two of the 12 spies that were sent in. Ten spies says, We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, If if the Lord favors us, we can. And you know what the Lord said about Caleb? Caleb's name means faithful dog. Who entered the promised land? The Savior and the faithful dog. And you know what the Lord said with regard to Caleb? He said he has another spirit in him. The Holy Spirit. He hath followed me fully. Now the time to enter in has Come And the first place of conquest was to be the city of Jericho. Now, we considered that last week. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. Verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now, there have been many attempts to prove that she was an innkeeper and not a harlot. I don't see where that can be backed up anywhere in the scripture. The New Testament even calls her the harlot Rahab. She was a immoral woman. And I suppose when they entered into Jericho, they thought this is the only safe place. Uh, she won't turn us in. Anybody else would. And they lodged in her home. Now, I think it's interesting uh, the writer of the Hebrews calls them spies, but James calls them messengers or angels. These two men. These two men actually represent gospel preachers to her. She heard the gospel through them. And they stayed in her home. Verse 2. 
And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither to, tonight of the children of Israel to search out the land, the country. And the king of Jericho sent under Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house. For they be come to search out all the country. Now remember, these people had heard of God parting the Red Sea for this group. And they knew that God had parted the River Jordan and they marched in and were very close. They were no doubt very alarmed because of what has been taking place with these people. And there were maybe several million uh, outside of the city. And they wanted the, to find out about these uh, spies. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came unto me, there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went out, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan and to the fords. And as soon as that which pursued after they were gone out, they shut the gate. Now here they are hidden. And Rahab lies. She lies. She said, I don't know who they are. And they left. Go out and pursue them. You'll find them. Believe it or not, people have used this to say, how could she be used as an example of faith or the works of faith when she told a lie like this? Well, my uh, thought toward this objection is you sanctimonious hypocrite. <laughs> what else can you say? I suppose you would have criticized the Lord for sending strong delusions that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That is. But someone is probably thinking, why did she hide them? Why did she hide them? Well, she hid them because of something she'd previously heard. Let's go on reading in verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Now there's something she knew. She knew the Lord had given them the land. There is no faith apart from knowledge. There is something she knew. I think of Paul's words, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to what? Knowledge. Talking about saving knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. That's what they were ignorant of. And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. They 
lacked saving knowledge. Very zealous, zealous of the God of the Bible. But they lacked saving knowledge. Paul said in Romans 3, 19, we know. We know. That whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. We know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Somebody says, I don't know that. Paul says, I do. <laughs> we know. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Now, she knew something about the sovereignty of his grace. Look at her language. She said unto the men, I know the Lord hath given you the land. Not us. We're being dispossessed. We're being kicked out. We're going to be destroyed. I know that the Lord hath given you the land. The land. Jericho is now yours because the Lord has given it to you. She didn't complain about this. She didn't say, well, we were here first. It's not right for us to get kicked out. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, why didn't she complain? Let me tell you why. She knew she was a sinner. And she knew that whatever God did was right. Now, that's what everybody that knows him knows. They are not going to complain with what he does. Whatever he does is right. I'm the guilty party. She didn't say, this is not fair. This is not right. We were here first. No, she said, the Lord hath given you the city. Whatever he does is right. Now, all who know the Lord know that. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Isn't it wonderful to know that? You know, he never acts contrary to any of his attributes. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? She realized that, and she said, we're all scared to death. We know we can't stand before the God of glory. Then verse 10, for we have heard. Faith cometh by hearing, doesn't it? For we have heard. How that the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. She understood sovereign grace. Anybody that knows the Lord does. That's who he is. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Now they'd heard about the parting of the Red Sea. I love that scripture where Moses says to the children of Israel, fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians, you have seen today, you'll see no more, for the Lord will fight for you. If God be for us, who can be against us? The Lord will fight for you, and you will hold your peace. They knew about the bodies of the Egyptians dead on the seashore. They knew about the military might of Israel and what they did to these two kings. I have no doubt that she and all Jericho 
knew about the parting of the river Jordan. And they marched in. Now look in verse 11. As soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. She knew by his revelation, she knew that God is God. And all other so-called gods are nothing more than non-existent figments of man's imagination, false deities. She knew the same thing Nebuchadnezzar did when the Lord taught him who he was. She knew that God is God. He doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. That's what she's saying. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Grasshoppers. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? She knew that God is God and he does whatsoever he's pleased to do. He has absolute power. He's given the land to you. Once again, she wasn't complaining. She wasn't saying this is not fair. She knew she was a sinner. And if God sent her to hell, it would be fair. Anybody that knows God knows that. So with regard to themselves, she knew that. You know, somebody once uh, said to Barnard, he gives this story anyway. They said, Did, uh, he talked about how God saves whom he will. Uh, he, he can save you or he can pass you by. And somebody said, well, your God is a monster. He said, well, prepare to meet a monster to him because that's the God of the Bible. That's who he is. And he does not act in any way contrary to his attributes. He's glorious. I mean, it's only a monster that considers him a monster when it comes right down to it. But uh, this is who he is. And she was made to see that. Now look at what she asks for in verse 12. The Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I've showed you kindness, that you'll also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Now she asked for two things. Number one, kindness. That word is generally translated mercy. I need for God to not give me what I deserve. I need mercy. This woman needed, oh Lord, I need mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. And not only did she ask for mercy. You know, when your sin's all your fault, that's when you need mercy. If it's not your fault, you don't need mercy, you need justice. You need to be treated right. But if your sin is all your fault, you need mercy. And what else did she ask for? 
Verse 12, now therefore I pray you, swearing to me by the Lord, since I've showed you kindness or mercy, that you'll show me kindness, mercy, unto my father's house, and give me a true token, a true sign, not a false sign about false promises that aren't going to be kept. I need a true token. Now these men had heard that word used before. You know when? <clears throat> and the blood. These are the words of God. And the blood shall be a token upon the houses where you are when I pass through the blood, when I pass through the land, and when I see the blood, I will. Pass over you. What was the token? The blood. Give me a true token. Not a false token of an empty promise, but give me a true token and save us alive and deliver us from death. And the men answered, verse 14. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if you utter not this our business, we'll save you. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. We'll deal in mercy and we'll deal in truth with you. Then she let them down by cord through the window. For her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get ye to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterwards may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We'll be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be whosoever shall go out of the doors of the house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head and will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be upon our hand, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. Now here's the true token. Now notice he says it's a line, a line of scarlet thread. Do you know that word line is almost every other time translated hope? Hope. Here's our hope. And it's called a scarlet thread. I remember when I was a kid, all I knew about threads was spools of thread. It's a rope. A rope, a scarlet-colored rope, the color of blood. And what I think is so interesting, this rope was in her house all along. She didn't know it. It had always been there. Now, the true token has always been the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it was already there and she didn't know it. But she knows now. 
He said, you take that rope, you let us down by the house, and you keep it at the window. And this is going to be the sign, this scarlet rope, this blood-colored rope. And it was there, and it was the sign. You know, this line, this rope, this thread is woven through every scripture in the Bible. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This runs through every scripture. This is the gospel message. Now, verse 19. It shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house in the street, his blood will be upon his own head. Now, remember when God passed through the land of uh, Egypt to destroy the firstborn? Where'd you have to be? In the house with the blood over the door. Would you have gone outside? I wouldn't have. Would you even stuck a finger out the window? I wouldn't have. The only place of safety, and it's the same here, the only place of safety is this house with this token, the blood token, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, and if thou utter this our business, then we'll be quit of thine oath, and thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according unto your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. I like the way it says she bound it. She was going to make sure that that is not going to move. They're going to see that. And they went and came into the mountains and abode there three days, and the pursuers were returned, and the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Dun, and told him all the things that befell them. Y'all like that language, don't you? Everything that happened has fallen out of heaven. God is in absolute control of every event. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Now turn to chapter 6. And Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See... I have given, I have given, not I will give, I have given unto thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And you know the story. They marched around the city six days, one time, with the trumps of God, the trumpet, the ram's horn, the seven priests before the ark of the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they marched around seven times, six times. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times. They blew the trumpet, they shouted, and the walls collapsed. And let me remind you, 
They didn't collapse because of the vibration of the mighty shout. They collapsed because of the power of God. And that shout represents faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look in verse 20 of chapter 6. So the people shouted when the priests blew with their trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him, they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. But Joshua said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go ye into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as you swear to her. Now I love this. He doesn't say, ask her if she wants to come out. Still wouldn't know. Bring her out. That's salvation. Bring her out. And that's exactly what they did. Verse 23, And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even to this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent out to Jericho. Now what I love thinking about this heathen city, God had an elect center there. Maybe more as far as her family, I don't know, but I know he had one elect center. Rahab the harlot. And she would remain in Israel and she would marry a man. And they would have a son. The man she married, his name was Salmon. Salmon, or S-A-L-M-O-N, I don't know how to pronounce it. But um, they would have a son whose name was Boaz. Boaz, you read about him in the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer that would uh, marry Ruth the Moabitess. And they would have a son named Jesse. And Jesse would have a son named David. David, the man after God's own heart. David, the one Christ is called the son of David and David's Lord. Now, while it's true that the Old Testament mainly is for the Jews, you can't deny that. He still saved Gentiles. And we have an example of his glorious salvation in this passage of Scripture. And what was that true token? The scarlet hope, the scarlet line, the scarlet thread. That was the difference. Let's pray. Lord, how we're amazed at the power and the glory of your word, how we're amazed at the simplicity and clearness and clarity that 
you present to us who you are and the hope that's found in thy son. And Lord, we ask that we might be in that house with the scarlet hope, the scarlet line, that we might look to Christ only. And Lord, how we thank you for this glorious salvation that's in your son. And Lord, we confess he is everything in our salvation. Enable us simply to rest in and to trust him. In his name we pray, amen.